Set summer in motion with the most electrifying Honda vehicles yet, like the CRV and Accord, with available hybrid powertrains designed to deliver more thrilling performance and more innovative tech. Summer's here. Make every adventure more electrifying with Honda. For a limited time, well-qualified buyers can get a 3.9% APR on a 2023 Honda Accord Hybrid or 2023 CRV Hybrid. Buy online, reserve from select dealers, or visit your local Honda dealer today. See dealer for financing details. Tune in to FC Popcorn every Tuesday to catch us discussing new trending topics. Remember to subscribe and follow us on your favorite podcast platform to never miss an episode. Hello everyone, you're listening to FC Popcorn, a film companion original podcast where we talk about cool things, things that you need to know this week, the hot and happening things from the world of entertainment. The podcast series is produced by Vinisha Tauro and today I'm here, Deepanjana from Film Companion with one of my uh, film companion writers, Ria Candy. This is Ria's debut on FC Popcorn. So, you know, welcome aboard. Thank you so much. Today, the reason Ria and I are here without anybody else is because, tiny secret from Film Companion, we are the only ones who watch K-dramas in this team. And that is because we are evolved, brilliant women. That is why we have mature tastes of this sort. Now, the thing is that particularly since the lockdown, there has been a surge of popularity in Korean entertainment. K-pop was always kind of huge, but dramas or web series, which are called K-dramas because they are Korean dramas, uh, these got really popular during the lockdown. And as a result of that, what has happened is that at regular intervals, I am asked if there was one key drama that I should watch, what should it be? There are two reasons why this truly annoys me. One is I am not an expert. I'm a fan. So I don't know. Secondly, just imagine if someone came up to you and said, so out of all of Bollywood, if there was one film, what should it be? Would you be able to understand or answer? No, because there's no way to do this. In short, like I said, K-dramas are web series that are in Korean. They span a range of genres from thrillers to supernaturals to romances and everything in between. Um, Rhea, what's your favorite genre from the world of K-dramas? Okay, this is going to sound so cliche, but it's definitely romantic comedies. But also because K-dramas have so much more in their romantic comedies, like it's it's never just... A romantic comedy right and even the fact that somebody comes up to you and asks you which is like the one k-drama that i should watch probably um speaks to the fact that people don't really understand that it has a lot of genres you yeah know? yeah but uh for me it's definitely romantic comedies what about you so here's the thing when ria is saying that there's a lot folded into it could not agree more uh, one of the reasons that this has to happen, actually, is because K-dramas are very long. Um, they are the long form of entertainment. A K-drama, most of the time, will be between 11 and 21 episodes long. And these episodes are a minimum of 45 minutes. Usually, they're about an hour. I still remember Hospital Playlist second season finale was two hours long. Like there are actually Karan Johar films that are less long, also less enjoyable. Anyway, um, 
so so this is why they're able to pack in a lot more right because if you're going to tell a story over 16 hours it can't just be boy meets girl there needs to be life around it so for me i'm i'm a huge fan of romances um ria knows this well having uh, seen me swoon over these k dramas in the past but actually one of the genres that i'm very fond of within k dramas are the supernaturals because i love the fact that there will be a completely prosaic city life, job, uh, commuting woes, like all the regular things of everyday life. And into it, they will add a werewolf or a witch or some magic, a ghost. Um, in the middle of Seoul, there is a hotel for ghosts. Sure. <laughs> it's like, I think it's only possible. Well, not only possible, but I think one of the reasons why it's possible is that South Korea is largely it largely self-identifies as atheists so you need to have a little bit of magic and you can have fun with magic because no one is attaching as much of sort of cultural seriousness to it as we do for example like when we're putting together a supernatural story there's just so many living myths and legends that end up getting referenced that it becomes like a political minefield um not so with the k-drama so like um, the nine-tailed fox is one of their very favorite um, tropes, characters, both, I guess. Uh, the, the goblin, uh, which made like Gong Yu, like the global heartthrob. <laughs> Hot man. Uh, Ria, if you had to pick five things that to you characterize a good K-drama, what would they be? Okay, that's a long list, but... Eight, five, five. Yeah, yeah, five. So definitely a great female friendship. And I think so many of the recent K-dramas have that. And it's it's so wonderful to see because you can see that evolution very quickly. Like even a 2016 K-drama might have a little problematic friendship between two women, even though that it, it'll still be way better than what maybe we see on screen regularly. Um, but recent, like the five, the last five years or so have given us amazing female friendships that reflect women's lived reality, right? Yeah. Um, so definitely a, a good female friendship, a mandatory shower scene. Need I that. to say that for me, top of the list, as much as <laughs> my feminist heart has to shrivel a little bit at this, but the real truth is, the real ugly truth is that I look for the hot men first. <laughs> so if Goblin had someone other than Gong Yu, I would have had many issues with this plot of a 300-year-old eternal chap hitting on a 16-year-old. No. She's 16 in it? She's a schoolgirl. He literally grooms her to be the bride of the goblin. It is very messed up. I'm sorry. Like, but it's gone you. So, you know, he's beautiful. And like you said, there'll be a mandatory shah scene. So like for no reason whatsoever, there will be a dude who has not got his shirt on for no reason. For like 30 seconds of visible female gaze in action. And then we go back to plot. <laughs> I'm like, I'm here for it. Thank you. I love how they weave it in. You know, like sometimes it's a regular, oh, I was exercising and now I need to shower. So obviously I have my shirt off. But sometimes I think it was, she was pretty with 
Park Sojun, and he's like come back from a visit to his psychiatrist or something. Okay, he's struggling with mental illness, and he's in the shower like contemplating his life. But it is the way it has been filmed. It's so insane. Like I'm just there counting his abs, <laughs> but it's supposed to be a heartbreaking scene. <laughs> so love it. Love reminding me of uh, Hyena, which is a fabulous show uh, for many reasons. Um, not the least of which is Juji Hoon, who is also in that zombie show Kingdom. This I think is in the first episode's credit, if not the first, then the second episode. But basically, very early on in the show. Literally, the credits are happening. There's expository text. And these are all subtitles, right? So I have to read this stuff. It's like long-form reading. Um, but out of the blue, while important information is being given, there's Juji Hun skipping rope without his shirt on. And I was like, wait, wait. I can't do subtitles and ogle this man at the same time. I'm a multitasker and a woman. But, you know, help me out here, people. Yeah, that's expecting too much. Yeah, really. <laughs> Um, so yes, mandatory Shah scene and generally beautiful men. Uh, it, so the flip side of it is, by the way, that Koreans have an, have a truly uh, excruciatingly high standards of beauty. Impeccable skin, incredibly thin bodies. Uh, these are very, very strict codes that men and women have to adhere to in order to crack it as actors. One of the things that I really do enjoy about K-dramas is that even though the people look flawless, um, they also have to, like the, the text will constantly give a little bit of sort of encouragement to an audience to eat, for example, to look past the absolutely, uh, you know, these sort of stereotypes of beauty. There'll be a certain amount of chill with it a little bit, uh, have fun, don't take this so seriously, eat properly, eat properly, like every damn character tells you to do that. Of course, there's a disconnect because on one hand, they're saying eat properly. And on the other hand, the waist of the entire person is the size of my index finger. Uh, so, or maybe my wrist. Yeah, that that is definitely the size of Kim Gong's waist. I'm, I'm pretty sure of this. Um, but, you know, like, to have these exacting standards uh, brought to us as an audience, I think it would be really difficult for me to separate and distance myself from these conventions of beauty if I was Asian or Far East Asian. The fact that I'm South Asian and I cannot have those eyes, that I do not have that hair, that I genetically cannot aspire to that kind of beauty makes it possible for me to distance myself a little bit from it. Um, otherwise, this there is a level, I mean, it's there are certain elements of toxicity which we would do well to keep in mind because a lot of things it gets right, but it is a very, very um, brutal uh, cultural landscape. I mean, Korea, South Korea has, uh, among Asians, it has a really high uh, suicide rate in the country. Um, very recently, for example, there was an idol called Moonbin who was reported as having been found dead in his apartment, um, 25 years old, exquisitely beautiful man, sang well, acted well, danced well, perfect in every possible way you would think, and yet felt like he had no recourse but to take his own life. Uh, a lot of this does have to do with the culture that we're seeing in K-dramas and K-pop and what we're not being able to see, obviously, 
behind the scenes. Um, a lot of K-dramas do touch upon these serious and very difficult issues. Bullying, for instance, is a really big part of a lot of shows. Rhea, you particularly like The Glory, right? I like the first part, yeah. Yeah, so what was it about The Glory that worked for you? Honestly, that it's an underdog story. And I think that's true for most Korean dramas, that they will craft a wonderful underdog story. And that could be anything from, you know, something like The Glory, which sees so much violence that you can't help but root for this person and you and you want this person to get revenge, right? She goes through horrific high school bully, uh, which is, I think, a trope for all high school dramas like if it's yeah. unless it's a romance you can very safely expect bullying um and, and brutal bullying like it will it, it's not for for people who cannot stomach violence that's for sure um but also that you know it doesn't always have to look like that like the even it, it could look something like it one class where you know Park So Jun is just an ex-convict trying to set up um, his own bar, is it? I, he's trying to set up his own restaurant versus I just started watching Oh My Venus, which yeah. has a lot of the toxicity that you were just talking about. Like, it is hilarious that their idea of a fat person is some, you know, any regular person on, on the street in India, right? Um, I think I was reading on Reddit or Twitter that the American drama Insatiable, which is uh, which is also about, you know, this overweight girl who, who loses weight, the the final her glow up and the final figure that she reaches is what Shinmina is playing in Oh My Venus and the person that she's the body that she's being shamed for by everyone okay like from her best friend to her mother to ex boyfriend everybody's doing it um, but yeah even that is framed as an underdog story you know that she wants to lose weight and and that it means so much more than weight you know um, so yeah and I think that's something that. I mean, K-dramas share a lot of similarities with Hindi films and just Indian films in general because of how much we love masala and we love entertainment. So, um, and I think we can get behind a good under underdog story. So, 100%. Like, everyone gets behind uh, a good underdog story. But like you said, it's quite interesting because the underdogs are similar characters in both um, Korean dramas as well as Hindi films and Indian films, uh, mainstream films by large. And of course, a lot of that has to do with the fact that even though, of course, Asia is a very diverse set of cultures and one country is nothing like the next, but there are certain things that we also share, not the least of which is a love for hierarchy and a respect, like a deep rooted respect for hierarchy. The person who is older than you must immediately get a certain kind of respect. People in sort of the roles of positions of parents and senior generation, they automatically command a certain kind of deference. These are things that we we share. And so it becomes far less of a translation, I think, to see a family drama play out. Mm -hmm. uh, there will be a uh, there will always be that cheerful grandfather kind of character there will be more of more of a uh, not necessarily a joint family the way we know it but certainly more familial interaction than we see with a, a american film for instance for sure. um, so so that's that's something that i think works really well and i think also something that has been missing from indian entertainment has been that we've we've really struggled to figure out a way to talk about serious issues mm. in a way that's not 
going to bring us down. So like the bullying is a great example of how in, so K-dramas, for those who don't know, these are incredibly chaste family viewing kind of shows. They are uh, telecast in the evening and night, like, and it's a family viewing kind of thing uh, intended, not necessarily, like it's a much more unitary family society in Korea than I think we have here. But the idea is that it's everything is PG-13. Like they do not do explicit anything. The chaste kisses in the world are open-eyed kiss. The famous open-eyed kiss would be the best example of that. Open-eyed and lips not moving. Like just, just zipped lips. And the worst part is because they're so well written and the buildup is so good. I'm having these paroxysms of bliss because, you know, fingers have touched. And then, oh, my God, these unopened mouths have just touched one another. And I have collapsed in joy. But it is completely chaste. Bai can walk past, mother can walk in, grandson can walk in. Nobody does not make a difference. You will not be embarrassed. However, the violence of what is how people are breaking down or emotionally being broken down that's something that they do manage to do really really well they don't kind they don't pull their punches there but they write it in a way that while you're seeing someone breaking down you also know that the story will build them up as well you know that they will not be resigned to this place like for example, there is a show that's airing right now called True to Love, which I think in the Korean version, <laughs> the Korean original is known as Bora Debora. Um, it's on Prime. Uh, I am absolutely loving it. Uh, but here's this, it begins, it's like five episodes in when we're recording this. In the first six episodes, we see a very well-established, famous author who over the course of these five episodes has everything taken from her like she is battered by the universe and she's she's broken and weeping and you cannot help but feel for her so on one hand there's this complete chaste pg-13-ness of the physicality but on the other hand there's the darkness which is constantly articulated with a with a kind of clarity and authenticity that makes it very easily relatable, I think, for an audience. So whether you're a woman who has gone through the stuff that, um, you know, like being body shamed or uh, being faced with everyday sexism, whether you're a guy who is not feeling like, you know, he's getting enough respect, who's not being, uh, who's not being given, um, who's not alpha enough to crack it in the world of toxic masculinity, you feel seen. Bottom line. And that's mm-hmm. something that K-dramas managed to do in a way that doesn't bring you down. There's always a level of unreality and escapism that the show doesn't let you forget, even while they're sort of reaching out to the emotional heart of you, which I think is actually just masterful writing. For me, like, honestly, if there was one thing that I did have to say about K-dramas, um, what makes them worth your time uh if you know 16 hours of your time and a lot of reading unless you're listening to the dubbed version which i haven't uh so i don't know how the dubbed versions go it's the writing they're beautifully written uh they take care of emotions they pay attention to character arcs they pay attention to logic uh they build a world and they build flawed 
characters. There are no paragons of virtue in K-drama. The protagonist, male and female, will have many flaws. The universe will not see them. We will not see them. They will make mistakes and they will pick themselves up. That in itself, and I, and, and I understand why during the pandemic we needed this, you know. I mean, I think we need this all the time considering how messed up the world is these days. But particularly during the pandemic, I think you needed that reassurance that even if everything is collapsing around you, you, you as that flawed person can pick up and continue. Yeah, you know, you talking about this, Dipanjana, is reminding me of our, our conversation. I think we were trying to um, figure out what we want to do with the FC guide. And I remember us talking about this, that the way K-dramas treat slice of life is so different from the way maybe a, a Western show does, you know, that their protagonists often overcome their uh, situations and circumstances and obstacles but here they very clearly show that you aren't able to win against the system you don't win against the corporate that you're working for but you still find small wins you still find a way to contentment and 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 that's enough and that's such a different kind of and such a realistic happy ending no, the last thing that you discuss expect from escapist um escapist entertainment on tv but it it is actually for all its escapism it's emotionally very grounded in a reality and the article that ria is talking about is called the fc guide to k drama i would strongly recommend that you read it it also has aside from um everything else it has all of our favorite tropes from the world of k dramas a lot of which will not make sense to you if you haven't watched um a few uh, but we have uh, we have quite a few recommendations in there as well. So I think you will find it very, very entertaining if you're interested. Um, okay, so uh, we should we should give a few recommendations, I feel, right? What are you watching right now? Oh God, I think I'm about to reveal too much of my life. <laughs> but <laughs> I am midway through Crash Course and Romance. I am midway through my Mr. Second watching. Oof. And... I have just started Oh My Venus. Oh, what? I mean, you are a you are a woman of truly nerves of steel to be able to watch My Mister twice. Yeah, see, which is why I said this is I'm revealing too much of my life right now. <laughs> if I'm watching My Mister twice, where am I? <laughs> what are I you mean, watching? Okay, I just and this is also in a, in the spirit of excessive revelations. Uh, last week. I got back from work and I had seen two episodes of Queen Maker on Netflix, um, which was going really well. Mm. Uh, it's about a fixer for a table are like, you know, extremely oh, rich families, like intergenerational wealth kind of families. Uh, so she's a fixer for a table and uh, then she gets cut loose because of something that happens and she decides to exact revenge upon the family that had once um, been her patron and then has cut her off. Watched two episodes, sort of episode, it's very good. Came back from a slightly tiring day at work and I thought, oh, I just want to, you know, unwind a little bit. So I started watching episode three of Queen Maker. At 3 a.m., I was like, there's one episode left and I will stop now. <laughs> it's just no. like... It's, and the thing is that it, 
it's not perfectly plotted or anything. Huh? There are points at which I was like, hey, this doesn't make any sense. Did I stop watching though? No. No, not until 3 a.m. And I was like, I will be up in four hours and I have a full day of work after this. In which... I was just going to say that, you know, Devanjana is a ninja with watching K-dramas. It's insane. I'm like, how do you do a full-time job and watch <laughs> so many K-dramas? It's insane. But this is what you're doing? You're staying up to how? the This is how, by not sleeping or sleeping with four hours to your name and then going out and saying, hey, here we go the next day. So there was Queen Maker which are uh, really fun, very bingeable, such good women characters. And this is a fully a political thriller. So there's very, there's no romance or any of that stuff. But um, the, one of my favorite subplots in it is this little thread between a lawyer who used to work for, um, who used to work for uh, women's rights organizations and and a, like a low-level woman worker, the two of them have this fantastic relationship which looks at everything from feminism to class to uh, to sort of, you know, capitalist exploitation. It's just so well done without ever being preachy, which I truly love. So Queenmaker was uh, one. I'm also watching True to Love, which I cannot binge on because it's airing as it happens in... Mm -hmm. Korea. So the maximum I can do of that is two a day uh, in one week. So that's been good. But it, it's it's very enjoyable so far. Um, one of my all-time favorites that I keep going back to, because yes, I somehow do find time to re-watch these things as well. Uh, two, actually. Um, one is My Liberation Notes, because I think it's just one of the most beautifully written dramas that I have seen. Like I can just watch 15 minutes for the dialogues and what they're saying about the world. It's so beautiful. And the other one is Into the Ring, which is one of my absolute favorite romances because it is it is everything I want in a romance. Two very beautiful people, first of all. More importantly, or as importantly, um, so you know like how romances have that standard old trope of romance is the boss and the secretary, right? Boss and the secretary have a relationship, workplace romance, taboo, but still it works, da-da-da. It's a workplace romance between a boss and secretary, except the secretary is a guy and the boss is a woman. And the woman is a politician. She's She, she joins politics because she wants to make a little bit of money she stays with politics for idealism. And it is one of the most uplifting stories of, which tells you the importance of joining a fight that you care for, even if you're not perfectly suited to fight it, even if you don't have the resources needed to win the importance of fighting and the promise that if you fight for the right thing, you might even get a hot guy at the end of it. <laughs> How lovely is that? <laughs> yeah, um, I think, just the way that they, you know, put these tiny progressive twists into narratives that have been that have been around for so long mm. um, is is so wonderful. Even the fact that they have, you know, now have um, wonderful second leads, you know, is and I think it's so close to my heart. That trope is so close to my heart is because I've seen that evolution. I've seen how, you know, second leads were made written in that in that way that you hate on them so that you like 
the main leads but now even when two men are fighting over the same woman for the same woman's love they have this amazing friendship and yeah. that could literally make the third woman third wheel okay <laughs> so that's yeah. so cool like i i love that i don't see that anywhere else yeah and it's this principle of we may be rivals but it will not make us vicious to one another we will still be friend we will still respect one another which in itself is just such a crazy idea also um speaking of uh, speaking of female uh, second leads uh, i i think one of the one of the uh, things about k dramas has been like of late there have been you've seen a whole bunch of new actors coming up because they were cast as second leads particularly among the men like these supremely beautiful men who were cast as second leads and now get to be the main lead it also shows us little bit of mobility which is uh, you know we're still celebrating heroes who are 60 years old and still romancing the 20 year old woman so the shaking up of the situation is something that i like quite a bit um oh the other thing going for into the ring incidentally is like i i know i talked about the chaste kisses before this but into the ring has one of the genuinely one of the nicest kisses i have seen in any entertainment yeah yeah episode 8 if i'm not mistaken watch for yourself and enjoy it's it's a great kiss i mean it is a genuinely great kiss and everyone that i have so many of my friends that i've recommended into the ring to they've been oh like so sweet this that and the other and then they get to episode 8 and they're like hold on you did not say this was going to go there and i was like you yeah no but whenever k dramas have like anything more than that chasteness it's just like what are you sure realized yes <laughs> I just need to fan myself a little bit at that point. Even people who watch very widely, the people that I know who are open to different kinds of things, will dismiss K dramas because you know this that it's it's for women or that it's only romance or that it's only comedy or that it's a romantic comedy. And it's just like, or or maybe they think that it's like Indian serials. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's that. But the fact that some of their biggest stars or all of the biggest stars act in k dramas you know yeah yeah it's also i mean um i haven't watched that much of indian uh, television soaps i have to admit so i can't i can't authoritatively talk about those but but there's a assumption that the moment something is popular it will be bad um or that it will be somehow tacky or substandard k dramas are a really uh, optimistic thing for someone like me who's a critic in addition to being a fan of certain things because it of holds out the hope that something can be popular and good like it can be of quality and still draw audiences we see like for example um much before squid game became the sensation that it did around the world there were k dramas like into the ring like um pick a romance whatever you want practically every one of these k dramas when they have dropped on netflix they have been among its best uh, most watched shows globally as well as in india in india where we have constantly grappled in entertainment to find ways to bring audiences to the theater in the last 10 years we have found people willing to spend 16 hours 18 hours in rising like i can't remember the exact figures now but it was something like a 200% rise in just watching korean entertainment mm-hmm. and it has had 
it has worked because it is done well. If it was just bad writing, it wouldn't have worked. So, so this, it's very rarely that we see in mainstream entertainment an example of something that is good and popular. K-dramas are that, and that's kind of hopeful for me. And yeah. on that happy note, shall we wind up today? Because I have more episodes of True to Love to watch, and you should be returning to depressing yourself with my mister, which, by the way, is one of the most beautiful and most heartbreaking shows oh, ever. Oh, God. Yeah, it's, uh, every episode demolishes me, and I'm like, next episode. It really is revealing a lot about you. <laughs> All right, so that's all from us this week from FC Popcorn. I hope we've given you some um, some Korean thoughts to think about. And uh, please do look up our FC Guide to K-Drama if you'd like some recommendations. And uh, come back next week for another episode of FC Popcorn. Ria, thank you so much. And uh, annyeong! Amida! Annyeong! <laughs> If you like this show, drop us a rating on your favorite podcast platform and remember to tune in every Tuesday to FC Popcorn, a film companion original. Diamond for diamond, no one compares with Mervis. At Mervis Diamond Importers, our natural diamonds come straight from the mines in Africa and our mermaid lab-grown diamonds beat all others for quality and value. Come view our brilliant diamonds, both natural and lab-grown. Mervis diamonds are so bright and full of fire, they will blow you away. So will the affordable prices. Our diamonds may steal your heart, but not your wallet. See our mermaid lab-grown diamonds and learn how to get a larger diamond for less. You can get a bigger mermaid lab-grown diamonds than you ever thought possible. And with Mervis Financing, you can enjoy up to five years to pay with zero interest. Our generous full-value trader policy and our lifetime warranty program easily make Mervis your first choice. When you mount a world-class Mervis diamond into a designer ring from our huge collection, there is no equal. Mervis Diamond Importers. For an appointment, call 800-HER-LOVE or go to mervisdiamond.com. Again, that's 800-HER-LOVE or go to mervisdiamond.com.